Welcome to today's episode. On today's episode, I interviewed Dave McDowell, who is a lead performance coach at Brock University in Ontario, Canada. Dave works with the rugby team and the volleyball team there. Uh, he has an interest in speed and power development and is also interested in data and tracking the data along with athletes. So on today's episode, that was our main focus. We talked about the importance of speed and power within sport. We talked about how he uh, develops an athlete's speed and power through Olympic lifts, sprints, jumps, and using med balls. Uh, we also talked about the importance of, or how he uses data, what data he uses, what things he tracks um, with his different athletes, how that data is communicated with coaches and athletes, as well as how it is used in a kind of a return to play setting or however you want to phrase that uh, with an athlete, with a sports medicine team. And then also we kind of went to a general overview of his how he trains with rugby since it's so versatile with the different types of conditioning you need. And then we kind of finished up on two questions with um, Dave uh, being an athlete himself, kind of what he, what he wished he would have known, and then obviously finish off with biggest pet peeve question. So um, great episode, uh, and here it is. Just kidding, one quick PS here before we start. Um, uh, just a quick disclaimer, my audio for this isn't um, – pristine quality as I recorded it um, through a new program. So um, for now, I'm going to have this fixed, just a minor issue worked out. It's not not bad quality. It's just not as um, great as I like to provide it for you guys. So again, appreciate you guys listening. And now here's the show. Welcome to No Weak Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up-to-date evidence-based content and knowledge through life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, coaches, parents of athletes, or any active person looking to improve their fitness or athletic ability. So please, have a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to No Week Links. I'm Patrick Wood, your host, and today we have on Dave McDowell. Dave is the lead performance coach at Brock University. And um, so today we're just going to have him on. We're going to kind of focus on speed, power, and then data is going to be our main focuses. So first off, Brock, appreciate, or Brock, Brock University. Dave, thanks for being on. Um, uh, just want to first come off with introduce yourself a little bit. Tell us about your background. You did have a little stint in Australia as well. So we have a commonality in that. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Patrick. Um, I guess I'll just start a little bit like I'm an SNC coach. So like many SNC coaches, I was a bit of a failed athlete. So, um, I started off, I played a little bit of everything growing up with my friends. We did uh, baseball. Um, I did a little dance, some martial arts along the way. Um, but then once I got part of me, what belt you get to? I was, I was, uh, I was one belt below black and then I got kicked in the nose and gave it up the next day. (laughs) Um, anyways, so um, then I figured out that I really liked football in high school. So I kind of stuck with that. And I remember one day after practice, I, I waited to see, I, I like, I really wanted to play college football and I stayed after to ask my coach how to make that happen. He told me I was too small to play college football. So I guess that's sort of where my love of training sort of came from. I just sort of used the gym to make sure I could play college football. Um, so I, I played at the university of Toronto in Canada. We didn't really have a strength conditioning coach. We had a coach that sort of pieced things together and we sort of did what he did when he was growing up. So we were forced to figure out things on our own. And I kind of took a bit of a trainer role with some of the other uh, the athletes there and sort of developed a bit of a love there. Um, and then once I finished school, um, I did a master's program through Edith Cowan in strength conditioning. 
I did a one-year graduate program through Sheridan College in human performance training. I worked for a private facility um, for eight years, and then just recently, the last three years, I've been at the University of Brock, and I work with, primarily with the men's and women's rugby and volleyball teams there. Nice. And um, maybe just talk a little bit more about kind of what you do with the lead performance um, at the university at the moment. Yeah, so our uh, our program for Canada is a little bit unique. We have four lead performance coaches, and each of us have a handful of sports. Um, along with that, we have 45 actual undergraduate student interns that work along with us. So we have about three or five, three to five of them placed with each sport. So I'm in, I'm in charge of about 20 um, student interns, and we're in charge of all of their education. And then along with that, we do the, all the training services for the teams. So all of our teams will do their warm ups and cool downs on the game. We'll do or on the on the road and at their games. Um, we do all of their SNC sessions in the gym. We'll do um, educational presentations for the athletes to educate them on sleep, nutrition, those sorts of things, and just sort of take care of everything they need. Nice. And so again, today you said kind of or your main interest and specialties are developing those speed power and then kind of getting data on athletes. So I guess first off, if we want to maybe just talk about kind of the importance of speed and power and generally what it is within um, in uh, a sport, I guess, because a lot of times um, an athlete might think, oh, I need to increase, you know, this or that when they're really saying strength or they're really saying endurance. They're not 100% sure on what exactly developing speed and power is and why it's beneficial. Yeah, that's a good question. So um, in terms of speed and power, when I was hired at Brock, my, my football background really translated to that side of things. That's why I was placed with the rugby and the volleyball teams. Um, when we're talking about speed and power, what we're really talking about is the ability to uh, move with some sort of velocity, whether that be on the, on the court or on the field. Um, it's really important for our athletes to be able to um, sprint faster, jump higher, those sorts of things are what we're talking about when we're talking about power. Um, and I mean, the old adage is speed kills. So um, our faster athletes are generally more successful in all the stuff that they are participating in. Our athletes that can jump higher generally are more game changing in the game of volleyball. So it's, it's something that's really important to us, but if we're going to break it down, it's really just your ability to move with velocity on the court or on the field. Yeah. Perfect. And then I guess we'll go into, we'll kind of go power first and then speed. Um, maybe kind of just go into a, do you have any particular way you approach in developing power for athletes, whether that be within the gym or on the field? Yeah, that's a good question. We, there's a lot of ways that we have to kind of develop power and it sort of depends on, on what the athlete presents us with. Um, the way that our current facility is set up, we do a lot of Olympic lifts. Um, we just, ha we have a, a space that's set up with a lot of, um, space. So, um, we have platforms at each rack. We'll generally have about two to three athletes at each rack. So, um, the snatch and the clean and jerk are, are exercises that I'll use with both the rugby and the volleyball teams. Um, albeit for different reasons, but, um, it's, it's very effective for both of them. But along with that, we do um, a lot of sprint training. Um, more so with the rugby side of things, we'll do a lot of field work. We do a lot of speed. I get them to touch top velocity, um, every practice, um, even just for a couple of reps, um, in terms of the volleyball programs, we do a lot of jump training. So they're jumping on boxes, they're landing off boxes, they're going over hurdles, um, depending on what phase of the year we're in, we'll, we'll be touching on a lot of those pieces. 
Um, and then the last piece that we use quite substantially, more so in the summer when we can get outside and have some extra space, is medicine balls. Um, so we'll throw medicine balls for distance. We'll throw them um, laterally. We'll throw them overhead. We'll throw them forwards. Um, but they're, they've been a big tool for us. Um, but that's, that's really a lot of the tools that we'll use for power development. Yeah, and I want to touch on Olympic lift first, lifts first. So what's your kind of um, approach to <clears throat> kind of like starting and, and using those? Because I know they are taking quite a bit of time to develop. So if, if an athlete were to be listening to or something, they're probably not going to just, if they've never done it, want to jump into doing this. Do you have kind of a general systematic approach of how you would progress people along or just um, some tips to make sure that safety kind of goes along with this as well? <clears throat> Yeah, that's a good point. Um, one of the key things that we'll do when we're progressing our Olympic lifts is we start from a top-down approach. So what I mean by that is um, we'll actually teach our athletes how to do um, the lifts from what we'll, what we'll call um, the hip position, which is right at the end of the second pull. Um, and we'll teach them how to first learn how to pull, um, then learn how to jump shrug, and then learn how to complete the lift from that position. As technique allows, we progress them down the leg to above knee. Um, then some of our athletes get to below knee. And I mean, very few of them get to um, the ground. As long as they can pull and, and clean and snatch from above knee, I'm generally pretty happy. Um, but there's a safety aspect to that too. So before we've done any um, Olympic lifts with any of the athletes, we've had a seminar with them with just dowels. We've taught them how to escape from the lift. We've taught them how to dump a lift if it's not going right. Um, and then, I, like, time is your biggest weapon when you're teaching the Olympic lifts. If I know that Olympic lifts are going to be a part of my program, I start introducing pulls and shrugs with our incoming athletes um, in their first or second program. And we don't really progress that for a couple of months. And then we go to the next phase. We'll go, if we go from pulls, we'll go to jump shrugs um, after a month or two. And then we'll go to um, cleans from that position after a month or two. And then we start to progress the position. So we just take our time with it. We have, we have our athletes for four or five years. We don't need them to be good at anything um, right away. We can slow cook them out a little bit. But if I know I need that as a weapon later on, I'm going to take the time to really kind of um, hone in that technique. Do you have um, all your sports doing this or is it just certain sports? Yeah, the two sports that I'm working with, volleyball and rugby, we both both of them do cleans and snatches. Um, our volleyball athletes, because they're overhead athletes, we don't snatch very heavy. So mm -hmm. um, I'm doing it more for the speed component. I'll probably never let most of our athletes get above around 10 kilos on each side unless they're really technically proficient. But I'll tell them that this is really just about the speed and the speed that you do it at is what we're looking at. We're trying to get it to transfer to their jumps and it's not really going to transfer unless it's done at the speed that's closer to their jumps. Um, for rugby, we go a little bit heavier on those types of movements because it's more, um, their sport is in exerting themselves on an additional, on a, another person. So they need to be good at um, producing power against an external load, i.e. making a tackle or, or breaking through the line or something like that. So we'll do it with both teams, but there's, there's different rules set out around both teams and how they're performed. Okay. And then you also mentioned med balls and I know that's kind of um, a whole other aspect of power, uh, a lighter in movements. Are there certain movements you like to use on those for different types of throws or? Um... Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So when we're, when we're looking at med balls, um, one of my biggest sort of, 
pet peeves with med balls is the person who's trying to throw the 25 or the 30 pound med ball and they're just throwing it way too slow to be power work, but they're, they're throwing it. It's not really heavy enough to be strength work. So, um, Mm -hmm. we'll generally keep our athletes around the six to 10, 12 pound range and we're throwing them for max power into the wall when we're, when we're doing against the wall or when we're outside, we're throwing them for max distance and, and, and max speed. Um, we'll progress from, some some forward med ball tosses, think like a chest pass or a backwards overhead throw. Um, and then on our more lateral speed days, we'll throw it laterally across our body, underhand, um, step into it, underhand throws laterally, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of ways that we kind of use those tools. Okay. And then um, I guess we can kind of start off with it for, I guess, just in general, because rest is going to be something that's really important during this type of training. Um, what would you say, um, how do you stress that to the athletes or how are ways you work around that? And is it practical to rest the recommended amount of time, um, within kind of your training sessions, I guess, or kind of like, I guess, how do you work around that with the recommended rest being longer and athletes not wanting to just wait around, but also wanting to get benefit? Yeah. Rest is definitely sort of something that we have to kind of keep in mind. Um, when, when I'm teaching some of the the students and stuff, we'll talk about there's optimal and there's reality. So optimally we would have all of our athletes waiting three to five minutes between every rep because we need them to be able to have a full output every single time. Um, but when I have 30 rugby athletes that I have to push through a session in an hour, there's not necessarily always time to do that. So, I mean, some of the ways that we try to work around that, um, if we're performing full speed sprints, I'll have... Um, a set number of basically spaces where they can sprint. And then there's a line of athletes out the back of that. And the act of waiting in the line kind of dictates that they're going to get a certain amount of rest. Um, And we'll use sort of the amount of athletes um, and in the groups, we'll put them in groups of about the size that we need for how much rest we want them to get. So that's a practical kind of component. But I'll also try to stress to the athletes that, Unless you're able to go again at full speed, we're not really getting the sort of benefit out of the exercise that we're looking for. When we're, like Again, we're talking about power and speed. Um, velocity is of the essence. So if we're, if we're working through something like a sprint or a jump, unless they're able to go and have a full output every time, um, it's not conditioning. We don't need to do sort of 50 box jumps or 100 and... 50 sprints or something like that. We're, we're working at full speed. So we'll kind of stress that on the athlete as well. Um, and then another couple practical solutions is we'll pair exercises together. So maybe it is you do your jumps and then I need you to do this torso exercise and this mobility exercise. And by the time you're finished those, it'll be about the one to two minute range that we can kind of come back and meet the jumps again. But it, it, there's a lot of logistics, logistics that can kind of go into that. That's important to keep in, in mind. Yeah. And I think when, uh, especially like athletes were thinking about sprinting, they'll think of, you know, like a sprint workout or just like where they sprint a lot and then have short rest. So I guess, what would you say your, um, do you have kind of like a max amount you want people sprinting per day? Cause you said you like to touch velocity every day of training. Do you kind of have a set either week, I guess, um, amount of meters or yardage of your top speed velocity or actually calling, telling them to sprint to work on speed work? Since I've kind of um, started working with the rugby team, um, we've made speed an important piece of the puzzle. 
Uh, and they understand that it's a it's a relatively linearly speed dominated sport. If you can break a line and, and score, I mean that's an important piece. So there's not a lot of selling that needs to take place there in terms of why it's important. Um, but like you said, we we try to touch it all the time. There's a robustness to that. If you're if you're touching speed all the time, when you do need it to access it in a game, it's going to be there for you. We'll try to touch about somewhere between 10 and 35 to 40 meters every warm up of max speed. So what that looks like is at the end of our warmups, we'll do a few build up runs and then we'll do one to three reps of, I need you to sprint as fast as you can in this 10 meter segment. And we found that since we started doing that, like our soft tissue injury rates around the hamstring and that have substantially decreased. And we actually have that ability to, to touch that in a game when we need it. Um, so we'll try to touch around 10 to 30 meters or so per, per practice. Or per warm up. Okay. All right, and then another component you said of this whole thing is jumps, correct? That's another thing you like to implement to to this. Absolutely. Yeah. With uh, with volleyball oh. specifically, um, I yep. mean, rugby does we do do some jump work with the rugby athletes, but I mean it's more common with the volleyball athletes. Um, we progress um, along a continuum of. It is we're teaching them how to land and we spend a good amount of time teaching them how to land, how to land on one leg, how to land sideways, how to land off balance, um, a lot of different things going to it there. Uh, and then our progressions kind of work from we're jumping up onto something that'll minimize some of the landing forces that we're taking. Because if we're jumping up onto a 20 say inch box, you might only be landing from six inches by the time you're at the apex of your jump. Um, and then we will progress the boxes up a little bit. We'll start with... Um, then we'll move over some obstacles. So we'll jump over different hurdles, single leg, um, double leg, double contacts, um, continuous jumping, that sort of thing as we progress through the off season. Um, and then we'll complex that sometimes with some of the overspeed jumps, some of the banded work where we're hooking an athlete up to a rack and we're actually trying to get them to jump off the ground faster than they would be able to normally to hopefully get some of that to stick. Our jump volumes are pretty low in season overall because they're jumping hundreds of times a week. Um, but when we get to the off season, we'll start off with all those drills and then work our way up to um, hundreds of foot contacts a week to get them ready for their seasons. Okay. And then same kind of with uh, the Olympic lifts. Do you, do you guys have a, some sort of, I guess, like learning progression of the jumps as in like working on landings first and then going on, or how do you kind of progress? I know you kind of said the exercise progression. Um, is that kind of how you mainly do it or do you do some landing practice and stuff like that first? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, we'll touch, we'll touch this stuff every, every warmup basically. So, um, early, early in our off season, that's going to be addressing landing positions. So what that looks like practically, um, we could be working on a snap down drill. So you're going to stay in place and I'm just going to have you reach your arms up to the sky and then on go snap your hands down as fast as you can and land in a, an appropriate landing position for jumps. Um, depending on the athletes we're working with, that doesn't have to be something that we spend a lot of time on a couple of weeks, maybe one or two mm -hmm. sessions. Um, but we'll re re up on that every once in a while. Um, and then from a progression standpoint, we'll take that, to single leg, we'll take it to um, moving. So as you snap down, I need you to turn 90 degrees, something like that. <clears throat> and then we'll start to do altitude drops off a box. So you're going to step up onto a 6, 12, 18 inch box, um, step off the box and land under control. We'll overload that with weight over time. 
Um, so you're holding dumbbells doing the same type of thing. And it's really just that snap down position coming from a, a higher height. At the same time, we're, we're training the jumping mechanics um, through jumping on the box. So we're basically just separating out the jump and the landing. Um, and as we progress through that, then we'll get clo- as we get closer to the season, the jumps become now over obstacles or um, in the case of rugby, we'll do more horizontal type jumping to transfer more to the speed components that they need to work on. Um, but it'll be, we'll use track-based hurdles and it'll be jump over the, the hurdle and land. And we'll try to progress the hurdle height over time or we'll add multiple hurdles. So now we want you to be able to get up on off the ground quickly. Think you're at the net and I have to get back up and get another ball at the net. Um, so we'll kind of progress that way. So we'll either add sort of intensity or some volume of jumps in terms of more jumps or, or a little bit higher jumps from a, from a sets and reps perspective, we're probably never doing more than about five reps, um, in any set of, of jump training work, um, and then multiple sets. So three to six sets, depending on the day. Uh, I find that it, when we keep the sets and reps of, or the, sorry, the reps relatively low, we can focus in and get better technique out of it. Yeah. And I feel like that's a, a three big things I think we touched on were one for this, for sprinting, you're going to need, you know, a max amount of distance. That's a lot smaller than people think with a lot greater rest, for the Olympic lifts, you're going to focus on rest as well as form is such a big thing that anyone can just jump in and do it. And then with the jumps, like you said, that there's a, you know, you're going to, you said fives, you max it, you do at a time. Like you're not going to be yeah, doing most of the third box jumps for five minutes. Yeah. But like, you're not going to be doing box jumps for like five minutes straight of, of a car, of a conditioning exercise. So I guess like those are all kind of points that you kind of brought up that I thought were important um, for a lot of athletes. Uh, so for, I guess the, the sprinting, kind of going back to that, do you use any different kind of drills to work on technique? Um, I guess for sprinting technique wise for that linear speed? Um, we do. So when we're, when we're talking about our, our sprinting drills, we break them down into max velocity and acceleration type work. Um, I, I believe even though we might not hit max velocity in a game, that we, it is a skill that we should be working on um, year round. And I know a lot of field sports, um, they spend a lot of their time in acceleration and that's absolutely important. But if we improve max velocity, sort of all the time points throughout the acceleration, get a little bit faster because you have a little bit more capacity. So in terms of our drill progression, um, we start off with a lot of stationary pose work. So, um, things like, can you stand there and hold in a good, like a mechanic or sprint mechanic with your knee up, your toe up, your chest up. Um, are we able to hold that position? And I talked to the athletes about if this looks um, wobbly when we're when we're just holding it, what is it going to look like now at full speed when we're putting X number of forces through our body? So we, we spend a good amount of time there. Um, and then we work through um, single switches. So in place, can you switch your legs? Can we get that scissor action of the knees? And can you stick that position and own it on the other side? Then we'll go to double switches, um, triple switches. And, and once they're starting to kind of conceptualize what that looks like, um, then we can start to add in some moving type drills. We can add in marching and, and skipping and um, running based um, sprint mechanic drills, A, a drills. Um, that's from the top speed side of things. On the acceleration side of things, we're doing a, a similar progression, um, but on a wall. 
And wall drills are, um, they can be useful. It can be better to do them on a sled. But again, I might have 30 athletes in a gym and I don't have 30 sleds. So um, logistically, we can we can break up into smaller groups and, and perform our wall drills. And it's it starts in the same kind of uh, progression. Can you on the wall hold a good posture out of a, that you would use for an acceleration position? Okay, now that we're able to do that, can we get a single switch and can you own it? Double switch, triple switch, um, and then can we do it for time, three to five seconds? And are you still able to hold um, that position? Once we've kind of hammered home sort of the mechanics, and this is important because we generally start a lot of this work a few months after the off season. So if I try to ramp up the sprint volumes too fast, we generally run into things like, uh, or we have in the past run into things like shin splints and other problems there. So it gives us an opportunity to kind of um, get the tissues ready for what we're about to do. Um, but once we've done that, we're working through uh, moving and um, moving drills for our Excel, for our max speed sort of side of things. We'll do things like our marching, skipping, um, running series, and then we'll take that into uh, running work. So it'll now be: Can you now do that through a tempo run? Can we hold um, at about a seventy percent velocity? Can we hold good mechanics over a set period of distance? Okay, that's starting to look good. Can we take that speed up a little bit now? Do the mechanics break down? Do we have to come back to different drills? Um, and, and we'll work our way up to, now I want you to run as fast as you can between this 10 meter segment or 15 meter segment. And we'll start to see, do the mechanics break down? Um, from an acceleration perspective, we go into some resisted type acceleration work. We'll have um, partners holding each other back a little bit. Um, we will use, we'll sprint up. We have some actual wheelchair ramps beside where we, where we sprint. So we'll use those as hail sprints. They work pretty well. Um, but we'll, we'll start to work on it from that position or from, from that point of view. And then we'll accelerate out of different positions. Can you accelerate standing, um, standing up tall? Great. Now, can you do it out of um, a half kneel position? Can you do it out of um, a push-up position? Can you do it out of a position on your back? Like you just got out of a ruck and you're kind of all over the place. Um, and we'll start to pull that. And then while we're doing this, we're actually timing sprints two to two times a week um, throughout the entire off season. And that gives us an opportunity to see if we're making change. Um, and uh, since our athletes have kind of bought in that, that sprints are important, they enjoy that data and they like to look at that data and see, okay, we really worked on this today. It didn't affect my time, but as it, or maybe it did affect my time, but as it sort of normalizes out, are we getting faster through certain segments? Are we, um, what does that look like? So um, that's important to us. Okay. And then you talked a little bit about um, the technique work and then going into a max speed. Do you have, or what's kind of your, if you're working on technique, how much of that do you focus on and how much max speed? Or are you okay with them running slightly out of, you know, perfect technique if, just to get some max speed work in while you're kind of working on that transition? The, the ratio of max speed to technique um, changes throughout the year. So, I mean, at the beginning of our year, when we're in um, our beginning sort of technique sessions, it's probably going to be, I don't know, I won't really want to put a number on it, but we're doing, the majority of our work is going to be more technical and then we're going to um, run um, a lot less volume. And as the year progresses or the off-season progresses, those two um, factors um, are inverse with each other. So the the more the max speed running that we're doing, or more long not long distance, but more top velocity sprint work that we're doing, the less technique technique we're doing. And gradually, those technique drills just become part of our warm up sequence that we're doing 
um, as part of our session. We work um, throughout the entire off season. Like we'll, we'll do similar drills throughout the whole year, but the volumes that we're doing them at are, are, are a lot less. So they become, they're, they're inversely proportional, I guess would be the best way to put it. Yeah, okay. As one goes up, the other goes down, but they're always, they're always being worked on simultaneously in some capacity. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And then kind of both, I guess, for the sprinting and kind of jumping, do you do anything specifically with working on like um, kind of stiffness at the ankles and kind of getting that force to transfer better? Do you do any specific drills or exercises for that? Because I think that's something that's sort of unutilized or not thought of as much. Yeah, stiffness is a huge component of the whole thing. Um, if and, and that's part of the, the hold positions that we'll do is can you kind of do that? Can you hold those visions? Do you know what that feels like? But um, throughout the entire off season and as part of our warmups, we're doing a lot of um, what the like the foot rudiment type series, um, the pogo work, little little ankle hops um, for height, for speed, in different directions, um, over speed where you're um, jumping a little bit higher. We're doing a lot of that type of jumping and hopping work on one leg, just focusing on getting on and off the ground quickly. Um, we also, what we're doing, um, some of our, our switch work, like that is stiffness work in that you're hitting the ground and getting back up, um, off the, off the ground quickly. Um, and then with volleyball, we'll do some isometric type work in certain positions. We've, we've done some this year, um, some of the active foot type work where you're doing your split squats with, um, sort of half your foot on maybe a box and then half your foot off so that you're getting some some isometric ankle strength through there. I haven't done as much of that with the rugby, but more so with the volleyball. Okay. And then you um, were saying how data is so important, or you're a big, um, you really like to track data. And I think, um, yeah, go check out his uh, Excel videos. They're really good, by the way, for tracking all that stuff and getting programs set. But um, I guess I just kind of started doing that too and getting more interested in it. And I appreciate all the stuff you put out and I've kind of started using that. And I think one, I guess we can talk about first off, kind of just gets people to understand and buy in and maybe get a better why they're doing this and a visual representation of them progressing. Um, not only athletes, but coaches and any other um, professional within the setting. Do you kind of agree with that? or And then I guess like, how do you use it to communicate between athletes or coaches or et cetera? Um, yeah, data is absolutely important with what we do. Um, we, especially it's only getting more important with the, the new technologies that are coming out probably daily at this point, there's, there's something new coming out all the time. Um, in terms of with the athletes, I mean, we're, we're doing like a, a full testing boat for them probably about three times a year. Um, so, with that, we'll produce like a report card for them um, in that they get basically all of their scores that they've ever done. Um, there's some graphs based on some of the standards that we might um, want them to hit and they, they get handed that out. We'll do a presentation with them where we'll go through each score and what it means and um, then meet individually with certain athletes on certain things if they have concerns or they're, they're not curious. Um, but it's been really a powerful weapon um, in that our athletes kind of have a snapshot of where they are in any time. Um, and then they may be really, really good at jumping, but their mobility is something that needs to be worked on. And it allows us to kind of um, highlight that with them and say, look, like when we're in this part of our workout, this is something that you need to zone into 
um, probably a little bit more than somebody else. And, and this is like the thing that's going to make a difference with you. Um, and I think the, the somewhat regular testing interval is important for that. Um, in terms of coaches, I mean, we're tracking a few different things. Um, with volleyball, we're tracking um, jumps on a jump mat two, three times a week, um, depending on how many times we get to lift on their game based on their game schedule. Um, and we're looking at um, jump height with that as a, as a proxy for neuromuscular fatigue. Um, and we just purchased force plates last year. So um, this past year, we've had them jumping on both until we can sort of see what the correlation is there um, between the two. Um, with the force plates, we were looking at um, their counter movement depth, their peak velocity, and their jump height. Um, and I know there's a, a, um, a lot of other metrics that we could be focusing on, but we just kind of picked a few few out this year and then when I'm having meetings weekly with the coach I can say look this is sort of where the team's at from a from an output perspective we're either way up right now we're way down right now we're somewhere in the middle what does practice look like this week what does training look like this week how do we kind of adjust to sort of meet the athletes where they're at is this a week where we want to push and it's okay that we're a little bit more tired is this a week where we want to back off and having some objective feedback has been really good in that way um, for rugby, like I said, we're tracking sprints twice a week, and I'm using that as a proxy of how fatigued they are. If we're in um, a strength and endurance phase and I know I'm pushing a lot of volume at them, their sprints probably aren't going to get very much better for a little while, um, but are they getting worse? Right? Are we? Can we stay somewhere around the same um, well-improving technique? And then when we scale some of that back, we would expect to see them get better. But if it's a week we're coming into midterms or something like that and everybody's sprint numbers fall through the floor and they're all running slower, I mean, that's probably not the week to push. So having some sort of objective measures, and it doesn't have to be a lot of things, one to two kind of things that you're tracking somewhat regularly um, with your team that you can just sort of not hang your hat on, but can sort of inform your, your practice, I think is really important. Um, and then having um, an easy way to look at that. Is it a graph? Is it some colors on a, on a spreadsheet that maybe when it's green means go, red means stop? Or is it um, just some numbers on a sheet? Like however, however you want to um, communicate that to your coaches is, 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 the, is a good way to do it. But if you're not acting on it, it's probably not very useful. <laughs> Yeah. Do you, do you, um, do any, not only just objective testing physically, but do you do any like sort of questionnaires or anything like that and track any data on that? I have in the past. Um, it's not something that we're currently doing. I just found, um, that actually the athletes that I was working with got a little bit of questionnaire fatigue in mm -hmm. that, um, they didn't really enjoy filling it out every day. Um, it wasn't something that was very important to them. Um, and I, to my fault, it was probably something that I tried to implement a little bit too quickly without maybe educating them enough on why it was important. Um, it is something that I will go back to in the future. Um, but I think when we did do it, there was a few athletes that were pretty consistent with it. And um, it was kind of interesting even to look at their numbers, but more to see some of their comments every day. Um, having a really tough day at school. Okay, cool. I know to at least ask that athlete a little bit about what their day's like or, or something like that. I mean, that was kind of the where I found it most valuable was it just sort of opened up an opportunity to have a conversation. Uh, what I've done and what I've done now is in every session that we kind of do, I do my best to try to have at least an individual conversation with each athlete, thirty seconds to 
um, a minute throughout the course of the section the session so that I can at least get an idea where everyone's at and then we'll make decisions on that so we're not doing as formally um, of a questionnaire but we're, we're kind of getting that a little bit informally fair enough and I know you so it depends on the sport it's definitely gonna depend on the sport so you said your velocity sprinting is going to be for rugby or that is what you use for rugby and then your yeah. jump for volleyball um do you have uh, I guess any of uh, tests that you think are kind of the I guess ones you you use or like the most, use the most, other than those two or those two it, um, just because of the simplicity of it. And like you said, you don't want too many numbers, but you do want some good numbers to be able to track consistently and get data off of. Yeah. If, if we're talking about, if we're talking about testing, um, we have a full testing battery that we'll put the teams through a few times a year, but from a monitoring perspective, something more, more often that we're doing um, with rugby, the, the two things that we kind of do is we'll do a 40 meter sprint um, two times a week, I think it'll be a total of about four to six reps total um, over the course of a week, two to three each session that we're doing. And we generally do sprint training twice a week in the off season. So 40 meter sprint. And then we will use from a strength perspective, we'll use the bench press and the front squat. And we basically have a rep out set on those two movements every three to five weeks or so, depending on how our, our cycles align. So we're getting a strength measurement um, and we're getting a speed measurement um, and the speed we use as a proxy of their fatigue. Um, and then for the, for the uh, volleyball, we're basically doing just the force plate um, jumps. Um, and then we're doing a little bit of um, in-game analysis of how many jumps they're taking in game and, and that sort of thing and trying to monitor on those metrics and trying to make sure that um, we're between a, a certain sort of range or, or that we're not kind of progressing too quickly there. So it's the force plates and the, some of the in-game metrics that we're looking at. Okay. And do you use any of these two measurements to kind of coordinate with like the medical, so like sports medicine staff when a player is coming back from an injury and kind of um, re-getting back to a baseline or anything like that? Yeah, the, the different sprint measures and, and things um, have been really important for us in a return to play scenario. So um, we have um, integrated sport team meetings every week for each team um, where the lead therapist, myself, and the lead coach sit in a room and we go through um, each athlete, basically what their status is and, and sort of what needs to be worked on with each athlete. Um, in terms of when we're returning an athlete for rugby, um, it can be a longer process or a shorter process depending on the injury. Um, but we're really looking for them to get back to um, around 90-ish percent of their max velocity that they've hit um, and that they're consistent at. It's not their lifetime PR, but like a velocity that they were pretty consistent at. And um, around whatever, like we use the beep test most of the time as our fitness test of choice just due to the space that we have to work with. Um, so we need them to get pretty close to um, around 90-ish percent of their beep test score that they're consistent with um, through all of our testing boats. So we have a fitness and a, a speed component to that, along with a lot of other physical tests that we might put them through to ensure that they're sort of ready to um, return to sport from jumping. Um, we, it's, we've had a few good case studies where we've had a few athletes come down and they've landed on someone at the net and sprained an ankle. And it's taken them – they've been functionally ready to go, but it's taken them – a month, two months to really get back to jump numbers that were um, able to, or that were close to where they were pre-injury. So 
there was nothing functionally that we could see would stop them from playing. But from a pure output perspective, it took them quite a while to get back. <laughs> Luckily, they're they're both setters, so we didn't have to really spend a lot of time on their jumping. It wasn't as important, but it can take quite a while. And with with taking more regular measurements, it gives us the opportunity to really see if the athletes are kind of back to where their baseline is and, and if they're improving from that. How did you, so I'm assuming you didn't put these back in then and uh, these players back in until they hit their numbers, the, the percent number correctly, correct? Um, we didn't put them back in the game until our lead therapist um, functionally had put them through um, testing and we had regained um, range of motion. We'd regained strength. Um, some of the power metrics took a little bit longer to come back, but there was no real fear from the IST team of, of re-injury um, because of the nature of what the injuries were. Um, for something a little bit more serious, we would wait for them to get closer to their, their yeah. absolute output numbers. Um, but there was um, – we had put them through movement screens, um, different um, – like they were – from a strength perspective, they were back to wherever their numbers had been. Um, it's just the jump numbers were a little bit lagging. Did you find that it um, maybe kind of allowed them to understand more? Because, I mean, if, if an athlete feels like they're ready to go, they want to get back out there. But if you have these numbers to show, like, look, you're not where you're going, did you find that kind of hurt? Like, you're not where you were, even though you feel maybe like you were? Does that? Did you feel like that kind of helped them maybe understand a little bit more? Or do you see that at all? Yeah, that's definitely something that I think is a little bit athlete-specific. Um, okay. There's certain athletes that – they want to know everything about everything. And then there are certain athletes that think everything's wrong with them all the time. So, I mean, um, it was, it was good for these particular athletes and it was also a really kind of cool weapon. Um, a few weeks after that, when we're like, you're jumping higher than you've ever jumped. So mm-hmm. like from a mental perspective, we could really push that and say, you're better than you were before. Like there's nothing really yeah. to be worried about. Um, the first game back's probably always going to be a little mm-hmm. bit nerve wracking. Um, after you've been out for a little while, but I mean, once you kind of set or hit your first ball, it's probably uh, business as usual. Um, mm-hmm. But for for our athletes, it was a, it was an important conversation piece because they're all their data they're able to see whenever they want. Um, we don't hide any of it from them. They know that we're not making coaching decisions based on it. It's not something where it's like you're not jumping ninety percent of your max today. You're not playing this weekend. Like that's not really mm-hmm. what it's about. It's it's really just about us trying to do the best we can for them and find out what basically what I'll tell them is the glitch in the matrix is that helps us win more games. We're always trying to figure what that is. Um, but they're they're access they have access to any other data at any time. Um, they just have to ask to see it, and they usually do, and we'll put it on the board. But for for them, like it was something where we could use as an educational piece, you know, like you're not jumping quite as high as you, you were. Maybe we can do a little bit more kind of power work on the side to kind of get that to top up a little bit. And they were all for it as soon as they saw um, an objective number that showed them why that's important. Yeah. I think that's again something that I've kind of realized and think that it will be very beneficial for is that just the buy-in with everyone, honestly. Um, yeah. I guess for in general, uh, one thing that when I started kind of doing some training issue stuff with rugby over here, I realized that um, how much different rugby is compared to most sports with having to work on, you know, you've got to have endurance, you got to have speed, you got to have literally everything. So how, I guess, do you have just, you don't have to go super in depth, but I guess a general overview of how you combine those speed power with having more, a little bit of that, you know, repeated endurance for, to get through a whole entire rugby game. 
So, you know, you're going to be kind of training two different energy systems or do you do it a certain way? Or again, not, you don't have to go super in depth, maybe a general overview because it is um, quite interesting to me. Yeah, rugby is kind of a strength coach's dream in that you have to, you get to flex all of your different muscles and you have, they have to really be good at everything. And I'll joke with um, our rugby athletes that they probably picked one of the toughest sports in the world to try to be good at. But uh, from a training perspective, um, it's just, it it's time, right? Like they need a lot of, they need to understand that like training takes a long time. Um, we're lucky where I'm at right now is we have a pretty long off season, a rugby season, um, finishes somewhere between October and November. We start school in um, the end of August. So we have basically um, December until April-ish when, I don't, when they go away for the summer and they'll play some club rugby. So that's a, like a decent amount of time that we have to really train. Albeit our men's rugby team played a lot longer this year because they actually went to nationals for the first time in their history, which was pretty cool. But um from a training perspective, we'll spend a lot of time in the early offseason just building aerobic qualities. So we'll do um, a little bit of longer, slow work to just get general, um, to sort of shake some of the rust off. We'll do some stuff on bikes. We'll do some stuff um, on rowers. We'll do some stuff with tempo runs and that sort of work. Um, and then we'll, we'll really spend some time trying to put some muscle mass back on because the season can kind of really steal that from you. Um, and as we push closer towards when they're going to compete again we still maintain a threat of everything at all times but the things that become more important are some of um, the more speed qualities so we have to ramp up our sprinting volume because they're going to need to be able to do that over and over and over again in a game um, we have to ramp up our power volume a little bit um, so our, our olympic lifts will get a little heavier our jumps will get a little further um, we'll try to take some more things out onto the field and, and do some things there um, albeit maintaining a thread of putting on muscle around the shoulders, around the neck, around kind of key joints of injury, just to sort of top those up and make sure they're okay. But there's going to be ebbs and flows in your program. Um, and just different things become important at different times of the year. The closer you get to the sport, the more what you're doing should start to resemble the speeds and the, um, the rest periods and stuff of your sport. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, I'm guilty of it too because I'm just a dumb American, but we don't understand rugby definitely as much as Canadians in, or in the UK and in Australia. And I feel like, um, yeah, it's just, it's so much different because when you think of, you know, the NFL, you got, you know, plays five to seven seconds and then that's it. Whereas rugby, you're constantly going the whole time. So I do think if you're interested in that stuff, looking into, you know, rugby, is a, it's an interesting way to train everything at once. So I'm just we'll kind of end Canadian. on. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll end on two questions uh two questions here um so one i like to ask people that i've been an athlete and turned to strength coach what's the thing um if you could say kind of one tip or something to yourself when you're an athlete now with everything you know what would you say to yourself back then when, when i looked at this question i thought it was kind of funny because of the answer i'm about to give and the, the topics of what we just talked about but um, i didn't do enough speed and power work as, a, as an athlete I was an offensive lineman in university, so we lifted a heck of a lot of weights, and that's kind of all we did. Um, I didn't sprint enough. I didn't Olympic lift enough. I didn't jump enough, those sorts of things. Um, I got by, and I, like being strong is definitely an important part of playing football, but um, if we had have had um, a real strength coach at the time, we would have definitely been doing a little bit more of that type of stuff. So um, that's, that's the thing that I probably wish that I would have done more of.
Mm-hmm. And then another one I like to ask is if like, what would you say your biggest like pet peeve or, or misconception about anything like the field or your training or anything like that, that just really gets you frustrated when people say something and you're like, no, this is really how it is. Yeah. Um, this is a funny one too. I think, I think my biggest pet peeve is all the arguments that are happening on Twitter every day. Um, and what I mean by that is every single day there's um, an argument about is, is strength conditioning an art or a science or something mm-hmm. to that effect. And it's, it's obviously an art governed by science and a science that's underpinned or that's made better by your ability, your art ability to, to uh, sorry, your art and application. So mm-hmm. there's that, but really there's black and white arguments every day on Twitter and every mm-hmm. single thing lies somewhere in the middle based on your unique situation, how many athletes you have to push through your gym and what amount of time, um, what kind of equipment you have access to, um, what do your athletes even like to do? Cause that's important. If they don't like to do it, they're probably not going to do it. Um, so there's a lot of other things that come into it, and it's just never as simple as what's what's the number one set and rep scheme for X, Y, or Z, or what's the art? Is it an art or a science? Is it this type of sprinting, or is it long distance running? It's a little bit of everything all the time, and it sort of depends on your situation. Yeah, fair enough. It's just like uh, what do you say? The couple of things you're not supposed to talk about are religion, politics, and something else. Strength and conditioning should be up there with some people. <laughs> not really a right answer with it, but there's just so many different opinions. You can do yeah. it many different ways. Absolutely. Uh, well, <laughs> thanks again, Dave, for being on. Um, where uh, would could people follow you for more information, get in touch with you? Uh, so I know you put out some great stuff, especially on YouTube with Excel, but I mean, I know you're much more than that with all the other information. So um, any, of the, any um, places people can follow you, and then I'll also put that in the show notes. Yeah, thanks, Patrick. This was, this was great. Um, I'm pretty easy to find. I'm, I've done a good job of trying to put the same name across everything. It's just DSM strength. So um, that was my initials, um, Dave Scott McDowell. Um, I've since changed my name to just McDowell, but Dave Scott, like DSM strength. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. And then I'll give you my email. You can throw it in the show notes if you want, if people are interested. Yep, perfect. I'm, I'll respond awesome. to anyone at any time. Never too busy to help. Awesome. Appreciate it. And thanks. Thanks very much again for being on the show. Yeah, that was great. Thank you.